0: Hello all, and welcome back to another episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. My name is Jennifer Hahn. And I'm Sarah Callen. And the Strategic Whimsy Experiment is a weekly gathering place filled with conversations about the films that shape our lives. Today, we are going to be reviewing the film A Quiet Place 2, and we are joined by a very special guest, Brandon. Brandon, do you want to introduce yourself?
1: Hello, everyone. My name is Brandon. I'm a friend of Jen's from college. Uh, we went to the same church when I was at Pitt, and she was at CMU, and excited to be here. Really like this movie and excited to talk about it.
0: Awesome. Yeah, randomly, Brandon and I were catching up and chatting, and he mentioned that he loved the first one, A Quiet Place, part one. And so now that the second one is out, I was like, all right, we've got to have him talk about his thoughts on this film. So thanks for joining, Brandon. We're excited. All right, Sarah, do you want to start off with our uh, IMDb summary for the film before we really dive in?
2: Sure. Following the events at home, the Abbott family now face the terrors of the outside world. Forced to venture into the unknown, they realize the creatures that hunt by sound are not the only threats lurking beyond the sand
0: path. All right, and with that, let's start with our one sentence summaries for A Quiet Place 2 in. Strategic whimsy experiment tradition. So Brandon, do you want to share your one-sentence summary for the film first?
1: Yeah, my summary is a prime example that resounding resistance is better than silent suffering.
0: Ooh. Ooh, that alliteration. <laughs> alliteration. <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Nice. Well done. Well done. Sarah? <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, Brandon, your summary was was very good. Uh, I went you. in a different direction than you did. <laughs> Mine is, play that funky music, white girl. Oh my god!
0: <laughs> wow. <love> <laughs> All right, well, my summary is also in a different direction. <laughs> um, the true monsters became human cynicism and hopelessness, but not quite fully realized in this plot. Very accurate, well done. all right, well, let's start off with our initial thoughts for a quiet place do Brandon, what were your thoughts of this film?
1: Yeah, so I really enjoy this film overall. Um, you know, as you mentioned before we caught up I really enjoyed the first one, but I felt that this one was different enough, but still built upon some of the similar elements that were um you know set forth in the first one. so one thing that I felt really stood out. Um, from this one was just the overall resilience of all the main characters. Um, I think that when watching movies like this, apocalyptic survival stories, I always try to put myself in their shoes. And I think just like the amount of loss that they face, um, whether that being the loss of loved ones, um, the amount of physical pain and injury um, that they've endured and just overall isolation and not being able to interact a lot with other human beings and not having a lot of resources. I'm just really impressed by the ways they're able to still, um, you know, survive in this world, you know, figure out ways to um, avoid or um, kill the monsters when necessary, um, as well as, you know, still maintaining um, everyone's health and everything. So, one thing that I would say is just like the characters are just very resilient in this movie. Um, and I think that's just very impressive just because I don't think, again, putting myself in their shoes, I don't think I'd be able to um, survive the way that they have in the first film and this one as well.
0: Yeah, that's so true. They, especially the mother as well, like she's got the weight of the world on her shoulders and somehow is still out there fighting. It's it's insane. Sarah, what were your initial thoughts of A Quiet Place 2?
2: Oh, man. I have, I have many thoughts about A Quiet Place 2. Um, while I was watching, I had two thoughts that pretty much spanned the entire film. The first one was, why are we doing this to ourselves? Because, like, there's so much anxiety already in the world. Like, why am I watching a movie that will induce more anxiety in my person? I don't need that right now. And then my second thought was, this family has suffered enough. So, like, I took the pessimistic view of what you were saying, Brandon. I was like, these people have suffered. They've gone through hell. And, like, the first movie and the second movie are, like, five days worth of just... pure hell. It just got to Mm -hmm. a point where I was like, give the people a break. Can we let them take a nap? Maybe eat a snack? Like, gosh, why do we have to watch them just suffer for hours on end? Like, I just felt bad for them at a point. And I was like, Mm -hmm. I just, I want to stop watching. I don't want more movies because I don't want to watch them have to go through more hell. So I don't know. I just, I I struggled with this movie. I was glad that it was only an hour and a half long. Um, I think that the first movie is far better than this one. And we can go into Mm -hmm. all of that later if we want to. But I just kept thinking like, there's really no reason for this movie to exist other than people wanted to make more money, which Mm -hmm. I I respect that. Like, yeah, you got to make money, got to pay bills. Like I get it. But, this movie didn't really have anything to say. It didn't really move the genre forward. It didn't do anything super spectacular. Like I was just really disappointed, especially because the first one was so different and, and set itself apart from so many other films in the genre. So I don't know. It it's fine, but that's not really the reaction that you want (laughs) to a movie like this, you know? (laughs)
0: That's fair. Yeah, yeah. Um, I went in this with low expectations, mostly because sequels are just so challenging to do well. I think Toy Story is probably one of the few franchises that has been able to pull off sequel to sequel that actually work really well. Um, there were themes in this film that we can talk about when we're in the spoiler free uh, spoiler territory uh, where we'll have full reign there's just emotional themes that I think could have been built up so much more. And they're such good themes had the plot invested a little bit more in them. I think it could have been a really, um, meaningful second part of what was started in the first film with the father's sacrifice at the end and kind of the way that we get to see his legacy lived out through Reagan in this film. Um, So there's a a piece with Emmett that I just, I wanted them to build on more, but I kept having to remind myself, like, ultimately, this is a thriller. And for there to be so much uh, emotional uh, parts of this movie and depth to the characters is already impressive enough for this being a classic thriller movie. Um, So I I loved the first one. Um, I think the second one does a lot of the similar things as the first one does with the monsters, and it kind of continues to build on um, the jump scares and things like that. So a lot of that was more of the same. And there's this emotional theme that the, the this film establishes in the beginning parts of the film, but I think doesn't come to fruition the way that it could have to really land the same emotional weight that the first film did just so, so well with the family, and the father sacrifice. So I just, there were things that I just saw so much potential in this movie that I wish they had explored more. But overall, as a as a thriller and a fun ride, it, it accomplished what it needed to do. All right. So where do we want to dive into first? And I guess maybe this is a good time to say, if you haven't seen A Quiet Place 2 yet, um, we will probably talk about events in the plot and uh, in the ending. So If you don't want the movie spoiled, make sure to go watch it before you continue
1: listening. We could start from the beginning. I Or do you guys want to talk about like the just themes or moments that really resonate with you?
0: So I guess yeah, let's start from the opening scene. And one of the questions I had jotted down was the whole day one sequence that they included at the beginning did that work for you? Did you find it useful uh, to the rest of the story arc that we see? Or do you feel like we could have done without it? Curious your thoughts.
1: That's a great question. Um, I personally liked it just because, in general, I'm a person that likes more background or, you know, if there's a any sort of movie where there's kind of a unique world or unique um, overall overarching plot that I'm curious about how it came to be you know I felt that the day one sequence kind of gave a little bit of background probably not as much as um you know I would like still but you know enough to where it's like okay so that's how it all kind of began you know before getting into the actual present day um, events of the second film um one thing that I personally and I'm kind of curious to get you two's thoughts on was you know in The day one sequence, we see Emmett, um, his family, and we see their interactions with, um, you know, obviously uh, the protagonist, the main family here, and Emily Blunt's family. And I wasn't quite able to grasp the level of friendship or, you know, closeness of those two families because later on the film, um, whenever Emily Blunt and um, her children were in the Emmett, um, and they're kind of in the little den area, hiding away um from the monsters. You know, they kind of have interactions. and Emily Blunt and um, Reagan seemed very upset at Emmett, you know, the fact that Emmett didn't come for them. Um, it seemed that there was kind of this expectation that Emmett, you know, <laughs> yeah. should have really been providing for them mm-hmm. in a way, and that just kind of. I don't know. For me, there was a little disconnect there because when I watched the day one sequence, I was like, "Okay, cool. They seem like neighbors, you know, pretty friendly, you know, watching baseball game together, you know, nothing major. But then, you know, the level of um, vitriol and just how uh, upset Reagan was and calling Emmett, you know, that he wasn't like her father. And then Emily Blunt's character was, I guess, blunt for lack of better words and saying (laughs) that, you know, he should have came for them. Um, it just seemed all very odd or out of place because I didn't see that level of closeness. I mean, they were treating him like he was like their <laughs> uncle or something like that, that he was, there was this familial expectation that he should have been, um, providing for them. And I was just kind of like, well, why can not he reverse it? I mean, he had a wife and children as well. Like, why weren't they coming for him and helping him out? It just seemed kind of odd. That whole sequence to me, um, but overall, going back to your original question, I liked the day one, but it left me some questions later on, seeing how they interacted.
2: No, I think that's good that that connection that you made in the in the middle. I had the same issue. I was like, "Why are you guys mad at him? Like, he's just trying to survive out here. This is <laughs> rough. Like, he's not responsible for you." Um, so, like, I wish that they hadn't had that original scene. And we could have just inferred their relationship and the background from that interaction. And then I think that would have made more sense as opposed to us seeing that moment. And then like I had the same read as you, Brandon, like I'm like, OK, cool. They're neighbors. So like they know each other. But they're, it's like I'm not going to come to you with a real problem. It's just the like, hi, how you doing superficial stuff. Um, so then I was confused by their interaction in the middle. I. I really hated the the day one scene, but that's probably says more about me than the film itself. Like I don't like, <laughs> cause that made it kind of seem like a, like a prequel type situation almost. And I was like, I just, I don't need that, that it's mm-hmm. just, I don't need that information. I don't even need that to set up Killian Murphy's character. Like I don't need any of that. Just drop me into the action. Um, especially because like, I remember the beginning of A Quiet Place 1 and it was silent and that was so intriguing. And then this movie starts out and it's all loud and, you know, disorienting. And I was already anxious like two minutes in and I did not appreciate that. So I could have done without the day one stuff. I would have preferred just drop me into the action and we'll just pick up context clues as we go along.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I think the day one sequence for the characters doesn't set up enough. Uh, When we meet Emmett again later, I almost wish I had paid more attention to the interactions between uh, the main character, that family, and Emmett because um, as both of you mentioned, the scene where they kind of are uh, communicating that they expected him to come save them. I was like, did I miss something in that first scene? And I wish I could go back and watch it. Uh, One thing that I do think potentially the day one sequence does that is kind of interesting is it starts with what feels like normal life and shows us the the deterioration into the a quiet place world that we know and was established in the first movie which i just think is kind of interesting because it helps it helped me at least draw parallels between gosh if i were just living my life you know with my family at a ball game and you know these alien creatures show up like it it helped me bridge the gap between my own world and the world in a quiet place too that we see um in a way that i think helped make the rest of the movie feel uh more exciting because it didn't feel like this totally different apocalyptic world it felt like you know this could I mean it's not gonna it, it could happen in my current life, you know. Um, you know, a little hand wavy, but it helped me draw a connection between like how I may be reacting in certain situations because it didn't feel like this totally different world and, and time period that I'm seeing on screen. So I thought that it served an interesting purpose from that perspective. Um, for the characters themselves, I think it doesn't doesn't give us a whole a whole lot.
1: Yeah, I would kind of echo kind of what Sarah was saying, the fact that it's inclusion from a character perspective, I think just added to audience confusion, because I feel like the consensus here is that it was hard to, um, at least from watching the opening scene and then seeing the interactions later, it's hard to gauge what exactly was the level of, um, you know, relationship that they had. And I agree with Sarah that if it wasn't included, it would have just allowed us to infer that they were very, very close friends later on in the film. Whereas because it was included, you know, again, at least for me, it's just a big disconnect because I did not gauge um, that, you know, Cillian Murphy should have been, you know, uh, following up after them and caring for them based off of the day one sequence. So I would definitely echo what Sarah was saying there. And Jen, I think that was an interesting point, too, that you just made that, um, you know, kind of connects like our life that we have today with the world in a quiet place. I think that um, kind of jumping off what you were saying, just the quickness into how the world just became this downward spiral um, was pretty staggering because, I mean, you know, they were all just, you know, chilling, watching the baseball game and then the monsters come and they attack. And I mean, I think that. Maybe you two might know, but I think that the uh, the movie is set on day four hundred seventy four, something like that.
0: I good memory. Um, I
1: think that's right. Nice and um, yeah, I mean, so over a year, you know, a year in some change. It's just like every single day has been increasingly worse and worse and worse, and it's like insane to think that you could just be living a normal life one day and then um, something traumatic or catastrophic occurs and then it just completely shifts the course of life for everyone in an instant
0: yeah it reminds me of what um i remember reading about the like the magic of harry potter and why it's so exciting or this concept of like fairies and and magical creatures living uh in forests near us like that that magical realism is exciting because it feels like, there's this connection between normal reality, but this other magical world that exists that isn't totally outside of our current context, but exists in the same world that we also live in, too. And so I thought that was like an interesting way to bridge our own realities now with the later downward spiral that we see happen in the A Quiet Place 2 world. And it kind of shows us like this is not. Th- this there's a bridge between your current normalcy and what could be 474 days from now or something ridiculous like that. Um, so I thought that kind of was an interesting way to increase tension and also like our investment in rooting for these characters.
2: See, I really love that you were able to bring the happiness and joy <laughs> and whimsy of Harry Potter into a discussion about <laughs> such a hellacious movie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, crazy beings. Uh, I you mean, have it.
2: you're not you're not wrong. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we just need some uh, magic tricks to get rid of these creatures, and and we'll be good. I mean, we do have some
2: like no. sound science something, and True. weapons. Yep. So, I mean, that's as close as we're going to get to magic here.
0: Would you want to wander a gun in this situation? What's, what's your what's choice? <laughs> I don't think that, countries?
2: like, Wingardium Leviosa is going to help me in the A Quiet Place world, <laughs> unfortunately.
0: So, one of the things that I think could have been established in the day one sequence, and I think you guys also proposed an alternative approach, which is to not bring it up at all, is the relationship between Emmett and this core family that we're following. I think one of the themes that I, I loved in this movie was this idea of what people or which people are worth saving and the conversation that Emmett has with Emily Blunt's character um, really like sets up well for the emotional arc to be, Um, Emmett and his relationship this is family but I feel like some of that is resolved so quickly because the minute he begins to go after Reagan and Reagan essentially pitches this idea of her mission to him he's kind of on board much faster than I expected and Sarah as you read in the IMDb summary like we see some of those themes of human beings and human nature being so focused on survival that they no longer are caring for each other or trying to work together or collaborate. It's kind of like this every man for themselves mentality. And we see that group of humans later on on the dock that are just like kind of eroded down to their primal instincts of violence and survival. And we see that contrasted with the humanity that Emmett displays with Reagan and kind of like fighting for something bigger than himself. But I feel like that theme is hinted at and there's these moments where we see it, but it's not the core arc of this movie. Like so much of it is still focused on the mission of getting um, her hearing device to the radio tower. And like I can be bought into that mission and root for it, but the emotional depths of it and the stakes of it, I think weren't as strong as they could have been. And I think there could have been a version of this movie where – they were able to weave that overarching mission tactically with the emotional core um, a little bit more fully, the same way that they were able to in the first *A Quiet Place*. And they they nailed like the action and the emotional stakes so well in the first movie, and I, I wished for more of that. Yeah, I think
2: while I was watching, I I agree with what you're saying, and and I kept thinking like I've seen these things in *The Walking Dead*. And I mean, obviously, like in a show like that, you've had a million seasons to work out all of these like emotional story arcs and all of these things. But like throughout watching, I was like, I've I've already seen all of these things. I've seen, you know, the the characters who lack humanity, but then, you know, are redeemed and all of these different things. So like nothing new here was explored. Um, and so that just kind of frustrated me because there's so many movies set in this like post apocalyptic landscape like what new can we bring to the table or what different kind of viewpoint can we have and i was just a little bit bummed that there wasn't that added layer of creativity um and like you jen when he like had just said you know nobody's worth saving y'all need to get out of my hiding spot like i'm done with you And then just a few minutes later, he's trying to like save this little girl who's sitting all by her lonesome. And I'm like, that was way too quick of a change for this character. Like he didn't really need to go through anything in order to have that character change. It was just like, oh, I had this conversation with this amazing young woman. And now suddenly... I'm willing to sacrifice my life for anyone. <laughs> and that's just a little bit too easy for me. I just was calling BS at that point, especially like if he's on guard and he's like, yeah, I'm just, I'm gonna take care of mine and everybody get out of my way. Like he shouldn't have fallen for that trick. So I was just a little bit bummed with with that. That was one of the things that I had issues with. There are other things, but we'll get to that later.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that, you know, not to belabor the issue, but, you know, again, not knowing the level of relationship between um Emmett and the main family, it just it seemed that he kind of felt some sort of guilt, um, that Emily Blunt kind of helped place on him that, you know, he should have done more during the time that John Krasinski's character was alive. Um and so he seemed like he felt a little bit guilty. At that fact, and then he wants, I guess, quote unquote atone for his guilt. Um, and you know, that kind of led him to go after Reagan. Um, but again, it just to me the whole entire uh interaction and you know his following actions just seemed far-fetched, even in a movie with these monsters. You know, I just didn't see um kind of how the circumstances at play, at least from you know what I was able to gather um from what was on screen. I couldn't see how, you know, those short interactions and conversations would have led him to do all that. It just seemed too unrealistic for me.
0: Especially for a man who has, like, lost his entire family, been living alone by himself. Yeah. <laughs> trying to, like, it's
1: like, why should he care about, <laughs> yeah. you know, this little girl? I mean, he, yeah, you know, obviously, Lemily Blunt and her family did not care about the fact that his wife had just recently died, his child had died earlier. I mean, they right. seemed you know, pretty uh, (laughs) apathetic to all of that. And they're just like, well, anyways, our family is in trouble. (laughs) So you got to help us out. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. I wonder, maybe, I don't know. But there is a moment where she reveals that she has the newborn baby. And I don't know if something about that just like softened his heart or like gave him a a moment of purity that he's just been missing for so long like just like kind of this hope of new life and like something to fight for for this like young innocent little baby I don't know man babies are so cute they do things to you I don't know if like something in that moment we were supposed to believe caused his change of heart so it's
2: This is where the magic comes in. The baby is magical, and if you look at it, then your heart is changed, and you lose all sense of self-preservation.
0: So that explains why they had the the baby in the first movie. It all makes sense now. I understand. (laughs) Because you had that whole rant in our episode for the first movie, where you're like, why did she have this child? Every time that baby was on screen, I just kept thinking of Sarah, you and your rant. It was great. And I'm... I
1: think that was one of the first episodes I listened to of this podcast. <laughs> oh, gosh. I remember that rant. I remember and I agree with you. It, it doesn't make any sense at all.
2: Yes. I feel so vindicated. Oh, no. I'm not the only one. But I, I'm going to do my best to refrain from rehashing that same rant. So this is me not talking about the baby anymore.
0: <laughs> Unless it's a magical baby. Yes. In this case, this yes. is a very important part of the plot. That is fair
2: game. Magical baby, yes.
0: One of the things that I think this film, I think, does interesting things with, and I appreciate it, was some of the world building of, like, the rules of the monsters, the fact that they can't swim, and the fact that there's apparently this island of people who are just chilling and hanging out and roasting um, some barbecue, like it's this interesting moment of like a false sense of hope that we get at like the right moment in the movie where we're like, oh, like, is is this the progress that we, we, we were meant to see? Like, is this Reagan finally being able to find a way for um, the monsters to survive? And here's this other tool that they have in their tool belt, like, okay, monsters, um, something about the the sound of the radio transmissions gets them. And also apparently now we have water. Um, But I love that that was a little bit of a red herring. And then we see the explosive, like final climactic uh, fight that the parallel fight that happens with Reagan and then Marcus in separate places. But I'm curious what your thoughts on how this movie did with its world building. Do you feel like it built on the rules of the universe um, from the previous movie? Did you feel like it could have done more or were you satisfied?
1: I thought that, um so one of the things I found most appealing about the first movie was just how much of it was shrouded in mystery. Even, you know, throughout the film. It was just like, you know, a lot of different things. You couldn't really necessarily make out. We didn't see the monsters until late. We didn't understand how they worked or any of their strengths or weaknesses. You know, we just knew that they would come um you know, when they heard a noise, that's when they would appear. Um, So I guess I appreciate how this movie, you know, again, had to deviate from the first one, of course, just because you have to build upon what had already been established. Um, You know, I appreciate that, you know, we got to learn a little bit more about them. The fact that they can't swim while being a little bit arbitrary, um, you know, I guess it just. I guess every, you know, sort of monster in any movie has its weaknesses and things like that. Obviously, we saw in the first movie that their weakness is also the um, frequencies that um, have been used to kill them. So um, one thing that I wasn't quite able to grasp and, uh, you know, I kind of wanted to get you guys' opinions on this as well, was that, you know, in the beginning, as you guys already mentioned, Emmett had said that most of the people that are remaining in the world weren't worth saving. Um, Then later we see Reagan and Emmett essentially get captured by um, this band of swamp people that um, I don't even, it's hard for me to even really understand kind of what their motive was. I didn't understand if they were just going to kidnap them. Where were they living? Where were they staying? Were they going to eat them? Were they like cannibals? (laughs) Like, it just seemed kind of like they came out of nowhere and then just, like, captured them. Um, So I'm curious, like... At first, I thought the movie was going to completely deviate and, like, you know, reveal that everyone that was left was, like, some sort of zombies or, you know, had some sort of infection or (laughs) things like that, like other post-apocalyptic movies I've seen. But it just seemed like they were, I guess, just crazed. Um, And I couldn't really tell their... um, motivations or anything like that but i'm kind of curious from a world standpoint you know we see the people on the island they seem to be still normal but are all the other people around are they just kind of the same deranged state as the swamp people just i wasn't really able to um gain clarity on that
2: i think that's what we're supposed to assume like i i think that that scene is supposed to reinforce uh, what Emmett said that nobody is worth saving so that's supposed to like almost undo or like be a threat to all of the emotional growth that he's had so far but I, I agree with you I was like wh- why why are we doing this like do they just like live at the marina and they're just like chilling here and then they like capture people to make noise so that the monsters eat the other people and not them like what is happening here like that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me um as far as like the the world building goes I one of my favorite moments was uh when Emily Blunt her character starts that fire and then the the sprinklers turn on and that whole thing of oh okay they can't be killed by fire but with the water like then i can escape because she pulled that from the first film and i thought that that was brilliantly done i loved that so that that bit of process of figuring out like how do we kill these things what what can take it out what is its weakness like i wish that there were more moments of that just people trying stuff like oh this doesn't work okay let's try this um i did think it was really funny though that like water took them out but they could like drive a boat I thought that that was really a fun little little moment. So
1: uh,
2: I wonder what else these monsters can do.
1: Yeah, they can't that swim, kind of... but
2: they can drive a boat. That's impressive. Well,
0: okay, well, I thought it was that the boat drifted.
2: That's probably what it was.
0: But uh... yeah, I like to imagine them now driving boats. So that's pretty Right? Too. It makes
2: it really funny. <laughs>
1: I thought it was a little far-fetched. It would drift exactly yeah. to a perfect location <laughs> yeah. where we need to be able to just hop on the island and start attacking people. It seemed, again, you know, you have to, um, you know, levy your suspension of disbelief a little bit, <laughs> but that was even a little, a little too crazy for me.
0: Brandon, I love that you called the people the swamp people. That's great. That's yeah. so perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but... I, I thought this movie was going to go that direction where we would get some kind of like three-way fight between the monsters, the deranged people, and then, you know, obviously our our core family that we've been following plus Emmett. Because the summary of the film, Sarah, that you read really insinuates the fact that, yes, the monsters are a threat. And I think we see that established and they're the primary antagonists in the first movie. But I, I feel like by the final climactic – end scene of this movie it's still against the monsters which didn't feel as exciting because it doesn't build in more depth or more complexity it's still humans against these monsters and we've already seen enough of the monsters and how they work and how they operate so i thought they were going to go in a, in a more interesting direction which is to weave in this third piece or this third team a group of people um that were also against this family. And somehow, I don't know, the monsters and the deranged people fight each other and that's how the family gets. I don't know. Whatever. But I think that the the ending climactic scene didn't feel as exciting because I feel like we've seen human versus monster plenty of times throughout this movie and also in the previous movie.
2: Yeah. And we already know that their, you know, weakness is that sound. So you play the sound, it weakens them, then you can kill them. So it's just, it was the same formula as the first one, except in the first one, we didn't know what was going to happen. And that like final shot with Emily Blunt shooting her shotgun after just giving birth, like it was so incredible. And so like this time it was kind of like, oh, both kids are going to go ham on these monsters, but we already know that they're going to win because we've already seen it. So it wasn't like you were saying, Jen, it wasn't as exciting. It wasn't as satisfying because we already know that that works. So I wish that there had been another element to really make it more suspenseful in the plot rather than just relying on like jump shots and like climactic music and and all of those mood things to make us anxious. Like I really wish that there had been um, a huge question mark and somebody was actually in danger instead of us knowing that this formula works.
1: This just popped into my head, but, you know, kind of going off what you were saying, Jen, to where you think that this movie could have benefited from another element besides just humans versus monsters. One thing that's kind of been, you know, the back of my mind watching these films is just overall, how do they survive in terms of resources, resources being their food and, you know, I guess all the different things they would need, that any normal person would need to be able to sustain themselves. Obviously, we see in this movie that they return to the pharmacy to get the oxygen tanks, um, which are used to, to sustain the baby. And, um, you know, Emily blends together a couple times. But um, I kind of think that an interesting element would be if, you know, there was like a limited amount of food or, you know, some other sort of vital resource that, Ooh. you know, they were needing. And then maybe there was a swamp. Swamp people, people yes. you know that also needed those yeah. resources hunger so games we would have like yes like <laughs> yeah. some sort of competition to where you know the monsters are the threat of course and that's never going to go away but also now they have to compete you know as uh resources dwindle they have to compete with other of these swamp people and who knows maybe there's like i don't know forest people whatever you know competing with all these sex of people that also want um to uh to take the resources for themselves.
0: That's really interesting, especially with this theme of like human beings have been eroded to just like survival and like how much will they be willing to work together to sustainably survive for themselves? Like the introduction of scarcity really brings out the worst in humans and having that like visually seen on screen with like a scarcity of resources, whether it's food or whatever else they need, could have been really interesting to like continuing explore that, like, theme of human nature and how how do we respond in times of survival and dire stress and, you know, essentially this, like, sur- apocalyptic survival situation? And, and will humanity, like, ultimately trump um, our selfish desire to survive? That would be cool. I want to see that movie.
1: Maybe there's hope for the uh, third movie.
0: So that's what I was thinking when this movie ended. Because it kind of leaves it open for another one. (laughs) Sarah's not feeling it. (laughs) No. I didn't
2: want a second one. I really don't want a third one. No.
0: (laughs) We don't need so much is unresolved.
1: Well, we ended on a cliffhanger pretty much. So it's hard not to imagine another one.
0: Yeah. They really left it open.
2: But like more of this family suffering and like more like what else is she going to do with the cochlear implant because that's been like the theme of both movies like what else are we gonna do come on guys unless they come up with like a really interesting new idea like what you were just talking about brandon like let's introduce something else into the film then like okay sure but my goodness we did the same thing in two movies we don't need more.
0: <laughs> well, when she placed the her cochlear implant on that mic, I was just wondering like if this if this radio tower goes down, like we're kind of back at square one again.
2: That would probably be movie number 3. It's like, "Oh, okay. it's working for a little while. This is great." Yeah. Radio tower goes down. "Okay, what else do we do to broadcast the frequency?" Like, "No, mm-hmm. that's boring. Don't yeah. do that." <laughs>
1: Yeah, I agree. I think another element would definitely be necessary just to avoid the redundancy of, you know, the tried and true frequency method to kill them. Um, I don't know. (laughs) Another thing that just popped in my head, we were laughing at the monsters uh, driving the boat or I guess the boat (laughs) driving itself um, to the island, the monsters hitching a ride. But if the swamp people had access to all these boats and they knew there was an island there. Like, wouldn't it be best for them to go try to attack the people that are living on the island and take all their resources? Like, it seemed Mm, odd that they would just kind of just camp out waiting for a straggler to come by every now and then, as opposed to um, seeking out this community where people already are and are surviving well.
0: Also, you think that they would hear the or at least see the like bonfires and the people across the water from them? It didn't seem very far away. So why don't yeah. they go there too? I suppose they're deranged, so
1: it's not very logical.
2: Yeah, maybe the swamp people are not the sharpest
0: crayons in the box.
1: <laughs> Probably not. Probably not.
0: But but, but okay. they did need the little girl to like they be did. The baby. Oh, they've got that
1: going for
2: that's, them. That's very true. But then <laughs> that was terrifying. Yeah,
1: that was... yeah. I thought the movie was going to like diverge into like the ring. Yeah, there this like <laughs> faceless little girl or something right. like that.
2: <laughs> oh man, I'm I'm glad we didn't go in that direction. <laughs> no, thank you.
1: <laughs> I agree.
0: <laughs> this movie uses a lot more, like i I'm gonna use the word cheap because that's the word that comes to mind. But like cheaper jump scares to get our heart pumping and our minds racing than the first one did. Like I I, I remember the first one really leaning into this like the quietness and the slow burn of building tension and like us just being on the edge of our seat. And it used the moments of like loudness very strategically. Whereas I feel like this movie was a lot faster paced and a lot less um, in that slow, quiet place. Uh Uh-huh, pun intended. And it really felt more like a traditional type of thriller movie where, you know, like Marcus is running into the room and he sees the dead body pop out or Reagan's on the train and she sees the dead body pop out or the little girl even like they're, they feel like the more traditional uses of those jump scare techniques than the first movie did.
2: Yes. And that's one of the things that really bugged me because like one of the things that made the first one great is like it was so silent and because of its silence you had to lean in even more and pay even more attention so then when something frightening did happen it affected you even more it was so brilliantly paced like there's so much good about the first film and I feel like this one just I don't don't know They, they ran out of new creative ideas I guess so then they just did What's always been done, but I think even though we've we've seen the the monster, I feel like they used the monsters too much. I think that there's so many creative ways that you can build suspense uh, without showing us the monster like every two minutes uh, that they just didn't employ. You know, I I think that there could have been some more creative options uh, than. They just kind of chose the easy route, it felt like to me. And that that was a disappointment.
0: Did you guys watch this on your laptops or in theaters? Brandon, did you get to see this in theaters, I
1: think? I did. It was the first movie I saw in theaters wow. in about a year and a half.
0: Nice. Did you get popcorn?
1: I'm not a big popcorn oh. person, but I got some pretzel bites.
0: <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> okay, so how was this in theaters?
1: Um. So... The first one, the first movie uh, back in 2018 was one of my favorite theatrical experiences ever, just with how quiet it was. You know, as everything you guys have been saying. Um, all of the positive aspects of the first film really helped aid to a great theatrical experience. Um, I felt that this one wasn't quite the same thing, just because it's hard to capture lightning in the bottle twice. Um, I think that you know, that mm-hmm. immersive atmosphere the first one created, where everything is just so quiet and so suspenseful. And I thought the first one was one of the few movies I ever saw that really um, created this sense of dread um, throughout the movie that I don't think, you know, at least for me personally, I don't think a lot of other movies have done well. Um, so I really like that about the first one. Whereas this one, um, I in general like the pacing and the overall plot, but it wasn't kind of that same immersive feel, I would say, to the same extent. Um, but it was still a good theatrical experience, I would say. Um, I did jump at a few of the jump scares, so they they got me on that part. Um and, you know, the parts where it was quiet, you know, still kind of helped build up to the suspense. I really liked the uh kind of climactic ending with um with Reagan and her brother Marcus kind of that juxtaposition. I thought that played very, very well in theaters.
0: Your point around like it's hard to catch lightning in a bottle twice kind of reminds me of how the these movies feel like going on a roller coaster ride, and like the second time you go on the ride is just different because you know a little bit like when to expect the twists and the turns and the drops. Whereas the first time it feels like such a thrill because you've just never experienced this ride before. Um, so yeah, I mean, like some of the points that we were making earlier around, if they do a third movie, really having to expand this world and bring in something else because the monsters themselves, like at this point, we've known how they work, how they operate so well um, that there needs to be another threat beyond just the monsters, I think.
2: And if they're going to do a third movie, oh, please not a third movie, but if they do, are going to do it, what I wanted out of this film um was more of emily blunt's character like i i i understood the the necessity to split up the two groups i i get it but what i would have loved is to see this movie really really being about her instead you know it's all about emmett and reagan which it's fine that's a good pairing like it's it's a good you know little unexpected duo but man, Emily Blunt's character is just so strong. We saw her just give a, she gave birth to a child in the worst circumstances and came through like a champ. Like she can lead the hell out of this family. And that's just what I wanted to see was this like female driven survival film. Cause we usually don't, get those kind of films. Usually it's like the gruff manly man protagonist in these types of films, which is fine. It works. But I would have loved to been able to see this mom protecting her family in this horrible situation. I don't know what that would have looked like, but I was just so bummed that it didn't really end up being about her, even though the first film ended kind of with the setup that it was going to be all about her taking care of these kids so if they do a third one (laughs) i want it to be with a lot more emily blunt because she's fantastic in this
0: she is really good and she does like exhausted stressed out weight of the world on her shoulders so well i believed every second of yes so well (laughs)
1: man yeah i thought it was interesting i guess in this film how Kind of as you were saying, Sarah, they kind of deviated from the tension being on Emily. And then, um, you know, really it seemed like throughout the film, obviously we had um, Emmett and Reagan, but also with Marcus, he was tasked with taking care of him and his baby brother um, by himself. And we see that... Um, He makes a grave error of locking them in that chamber with very, very low oxygen, which was just one thing I I will uh, take a pause and say one thing that these two movies have done very well, at least from my perspective, is making like very, very mundane things seem so dreadful. Like I remember that (laughs) nail in the first one. It's like, that's one of my all-time worst movie villains up there with Darth Vader and Voldemort. (laughs) That nail had me on the edge of my seat. I'm like, don't step on that nail. Don't step on that nail. Don't step on that nail. Like, even when, after she had already done it and, you know, they were still going downstairs, I was like, please don't step on that nail again. (laughs) And then in this movie, you know, every time they had that towel there, I was like, please don't fall. Don't let that towel slip. Don't let that towel slip and um you know obviously in that case marcus did lock them in um you know i think that throughout the film we do see growth in the children marcus and reagan um one thing that i noted down was that throughout the film we kind of see how um you know they're pretty much running from the monsters um you know obviously marcus had originally gotten injured because he was running and he got caught in that bear trap and then um you know once Reagan sets off on her own, um, she stumbles upon that bus and she has a shotgun in her implant with her. Um, but then the monster appears on that bus, and she's unable to um, get the shotgun pointed and queued up and ready to go to kill the monster fast enough, and the monster definitely would have got her if it wasn't for Emmett saving her. Um, so I did like that by the time the end of the movie rolled around, um both of them were instead of being on the defensive and kind of running away or reeling away from the monsters, um, you know, they're both on the offensive at the very end and using, you know, kind of this cool simultaneous juxtaposition. They're using their respective implants to um, shoot and stab respectively the monsters that are attacking them, which I thought was pretty cool just because, you know, it showed that they were kind of growing from, you know kind of their uh, more childish and scared ways in regards to the monsters and um becoming um, people that are more aggressive and being able to fight and face you know the things in um their world that are attacking them, which I thought was pretty cool, but I agree I really appreciated Emily bunt's um character just in the, these both both of these movies um I definitely think it'd be more interesting to see if they kind of can expand a lot with her character and getting her to do a little bit more than, um, just retrieving the oxygen tanks. Cause I feel like that was pretty much the main aspects of, uh, this film for her, um, which obviously are very important, but it definitely would be cool to see her do more in the next film.
2: Yeah. And I love what you said about the two kids. I, the whole time I felt so bad for Marcus. I just, I wanted to give him a hug and get him the name of a counselor. Like, poor little guy is struggling with so much anxiety and PTSD. I felt so bad for him. I just wanted to help him the whole time. (laughs) Oh, it was so hard to watch. And with his foot caught in the bear trap thing, I was real worried that he was going to get an infection. Like, that's just not good. We got everybody's feet with. You know, scars and wounds and everybody's feet are going to get infected. I was just very nervous for our overall health in this film. But it was nice to see him like really step up and, you know, persevere through that anxiety. But I still, oh, poor
0: little guy. Just wanted to give him a hug. One of the moments that I love now that we're talking about Marcus is when he hears the song Beyond the Sea for the first time. And I mean, just so much of this movie is so grim. And hearing that for me as a viewer also felt like this rush of just joy, like this healing, uh, joyous music that this family I'm sure has been deprived of. And it reminded me of this that scene in Mad Max 2 where the little boy, it's also po- post-apocalyptic world, um, full of like violence and destruction. And this little boy hears music from this little music box for the first time. And just how like powerful music is. I feel like it's something that, um, we're so awash in today in our, our, our normal lives. You know, when you go to the grocery store, there's always music playing and to kind of experience it fresh through the eyes of these characters who have probably been deprived of it for so long and just living in silence for so long um, felt like I was rediscovering music for the first time too with them. It reminds me a little bit of the scene in the first movie where we hear them talk to each other for the first time in the movie after just like a really long stretch of them them all either signing to each other or whispering really quietly, just hearing like the human voice after so long. kind of felt like we got to experience the way that they might have felt um, hearing music or hearing each other's voices for the first time in a long time. And I thought that was really effective, the way that the, the movie was able to create that that sense of emotion in us um, in such a short period of time.
1: Yeah, it's kind of strange to think about not hearing music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I mean, as you are saying, just, I mean, in commercials and films, you know, going to the store, I mean, obviously you know, nowadays with Spotify and Apple Music, I mean, just music is everywhere. Um, You know, people spend, oftentimes the majority of the things they do, they're listening to music while they do them. So I can't imagine going an extremely long period of time without ever hearing music. It just seems so unnatural. Um, But, you know, I think that that kind of helps drive home just like when you are accustomed to having something and something becomes so normal it's like when it's taken away for a long time once you get you know that taste of it again it's just like so special and you appreciate things a lot more once you've had um you know as they say you know you don't know how how good you have it until it's gone um and that's definitely mm-hmm. a lot of aspects of the world that we see here in a quiet place you know they appreciate things probably a little bit more um just even having a moment to be able to talk. And that's something that, you know, in our world today, we take for granted a lot of those things just because they're so commonplace. But, you know, in the characters here, they have to be so careful about how loud they're talking and, you know, how they communicate. So, you know, those moments where they're able to speak and listen to music are definitely so precious to them.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of that scene in the first movie where they're having a meal. And they have to be so quiet when they're eating. Like they can't clank their silverware against their plates. And they're all just like kind of uh creeping around the room to to like put food on the table together. And it's just such a contrast to the way that like we when we're preparing meals, whether it's with friends or family or whatnot, like there's just this liveliness and the absence of that, even if you're in the presence of people you love, just feels like, man, just such a a, a restriction. Um yeah, it's crazy. It really makes you think about like the things in our lives that we love, but um to not have them would be such a, a void.
1: Not gonna lie, one thing that honestly made me chuckle a little bit watching the film was that when the swamp people showed up, you know, I'm expecting this classic, you know, evil villain speech, you know, something that explains like who they are and what they're gonna do. And then I remember that we're in a quiet place, so they don't really talk at all. <laughs> and they just utilize hand symbols to communicate what they're doing. But I'm just like, oh, like, uh, where's where's our speech? You know, I was expecting that, and it's not here. Um, just kind of goes to show a lot of normal things, even in other movies, you know, can't be done in a quiet place.
2: See, at least the swamp people were smart enough to figure out that you can't do a monologue at that point. They, they got that. They might not have been able to get out of the swamp, but they knew no
0: speeches. Another just random thing that I was curious about while watching this movie is when we are in the little bunker that Emmett has created, they have so many candles lit in that room. Like, I right? get they need light, but I'm also, like, I'm sure candles were a precious, scarce resource and... Every, I mean, with anything you need to go out into the world, whether it's to the the shops that were abandoned to go get again, you're putting your life at danger. And it's probably like an anxiety inducing trip to go there. So I'm like, do we really need all like 25 candles in this room? Like it looks beautiful in the room, but I'm not trying to do this like candlelit beautiful uh, experience right now. I would have thought that maybe they would have lit less. So I was confused why he had so many. No, so Emmett was really
2: trying to, like, set the mood, you know? It was a whole mood in that bunker. Come on. He was just trying something out here, Jen. No, but I, I seriously had the same thought. I was like, why so many candles? Isn't this a fire hazard? Because he also had, like, papers strewn amongst the candles, too. So I was like, do we need a fire on top of, you know, monsters? That feels like a lot. Let's only have one danger at a time, folks. Let's try and do what we can control to mitigate our risk. But apparently the ambiance was more important than fire safety.
0: So <laughs> what do I know? I mean, you can take whatever beauty you can get in this world, I suppose.
1: <laughs> one thing that I found kind of interesting, or I guess another question that I had was that I wasn't sure if it was just the entire... Um, kind of hideaway spot that Emmett had. Was he the only one that was there? Obviously his wife, you know, previously was there with them as well as their child. Um, but I couldn't tell if there were like, you know, originally other groups of people that were also staying there um as well. Because I think that when Emmett had first um found them and took them to safety and he was saying that they can't stay here because there wasn't enough food and everything like that. I kind of was under the impression that there was like, you know, kind of like a little camp of people. And that, you know, they had like, you know, a limited amount of food for everyone that was already there. And then, you know, just kind of seemed that it was Emmett by himself. So, um, you know, I wasn't really sure if that it kinda of always been like just him and his family there, if there were other people there as well throughout that time.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting thought because he sets up so many traps to prevent intruders. So a ton to your Hunger Games idea. Like uh (laughs) perhaps there like is a stockpile or or a word of a stockpile there, um, that have been aggregated. I mean, theoretically, like the more people I can band together, the better chance that they have because they can work together or I mean this is like the course of human civilization as well. Like we survive in tribes, um, and the collaboration helps our survival. So yeah. I would think that at some point there might have been, but th- it seems like there was some tragic event that happened that really killed off either a lot of them, but especially well, the one that we hear about is I think his wife. Yeah.
2: I have the same question. I was also wondering what is this place and how did Emmett get this place all by himself? Like, That's a pretty sweet location that he has there. Like not only the booby traps, but like the added layers of like security within security. Like that's a good hiding spot. How did he luck into this? So like I just had so many questions about how we ended up here that the film was never going to answer. And that's fine. But I just I wanted more information.
0: Other things I had questions about were how did Regan figure out so quickly that the song was a signal? I mean, that revelation came so quickly, and that was not my first impression. I would have just, you know, enjoyed the song. But she seemed to quickly figure out that that was a signal from this island. And I was like, am I missing some something that you're, you're – some evidence that you've stumbled upon? Um, that just – that revelation happened quite fast.
1: I would just chalk up that entire thing because plot. it just it (laughs) seemed too far-fetched the whole entire um transition to you know hearing that and them them being able to find this civilization of people on the island I thought was just too unrealistic but Mm -hmm. you know again something had to be able to drive the the plot from them constantly living and hiding from these monsters to them being able to you know eventually find other people so that's just, I guess, how um how the writers selected that plot device, but it didn't seem too uh, too realistic to me.
2: Mm-hmm. It's it's the same thing at the end of the first movie too, when she like figures out that her dad had like tinkered with her cochlear implant, and that was going to be the thing that fended off the monsters. Like there was something in that final scene where I was like, "How did you make that you know leap in your mind?" And so this was just like this the sequels version of that where she just arrived at it and I was like I would like to know your process especially because like I love process movies like I want to figure out all the clues so I hate it when it's like here's one clue oh now we have the solution in the next scene that's not exciting let me go on that ride with you but we were on a different
0: ride in this movie I mean, she was in the presence of this magical baby. That's so, it. You know? That's the magical it. baby. <laughs> the
1: baby all along. Yes.
0: Right? Because the baby's born okay. and then she has a revelation of this birth. It all makes sense. It all makes sense. So it's like the Wizard of Oz in reverse.
2: Like, if you don't have a heart, then it'll give you a heart. If you need more logic, then it'll give you this magical reasoning skills. And... Marcus was afraid and the baby gave him courage. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> this is the Wizard of Oz, guys. This is
1: amazing.
0: It's the same effect that <laughs> babies in our real lives have on humans where it's just like all else mm-hmm. just is gone from the mind. You're just like, oh, my God, the baby. <laughs> Everyone turns on their baby boys, you know. <laughs> all right. Any other last final thoughts on A Quiet Place 2 before we wrap up?
1: I thought it was interesting just overall from a thematic standpoint. I thought the, you know, again, as I was talking about before, the transition of uh, Reagan and Marcus going from kind of cowering away from the monsters in silence to being able to attack them and use their, um, you know, resourceful ways of defeating them. I thought it was kind of just like an interesting parallel on... um just overall societies and different monsters It might be in people's individuals' lives or monsters It might be very societal um, problems or fixtures and things like that, that, you know, as I was saying in my one sentence summary, that a lot of times it's so much better to um, face and address different things that are obstacles in life, as opposed to just, sitting in silence and hoping that they'll go away um oftentimes the only times that things will go away is if you just uh face them and address them head on um so and i think that that's like a good analogy for you know like i said things that people face individually whether that be just like their own stress or maybe health issues or other issues that may present themselves in their lives and you know just different societal things like Injustice and inequality, you know, things aren't going to be fixed when you just sit around silently. So I think it's important. Um, or that's like a takeaway that I took around from this movie was that um, it's just better to be um, some of the faces, things head on, as opposed to just sitting around and hoping that things will change.
0: It's so good. Don't be a Emmett at the beginning of the movie or a swamp person, be a Marcus or a Reagan. <laughs> One final thought that I had was um, kind of building on a, a comment Sarah that you made for, about the first movie when we had recorded that episode, and it was around how uh, the fact that Reagan and the fact that she is deaf and what was her "quote unquote" society might call a disability for her actually became a strength and an asset. And I think we see that theme really built on upon in this movie because. Ultimately, like that uh, device became such an innovation for this entire society to be able to begin to combat um, the monsters. And we might see some of that in the third movie if the third movie does exist. The way that something that she might have seen as a weakness actually became such an asset and such a strength for society at large. And, you know, working in tech, like, there's a lot of people that talk about. DNI and and designing for accessibility being such an asset for companies to innovate, and I feel like this plot for a Quiet Place Two really kind of exemplifies that in a kind of interesting roundabout way. But that theme is very much a part of the, this movie. Um, so I loved that they were able to weave that little message into this movie in a thriller, a movie like this. It's crazy. And one of the things that I loved about
2: Uh, the pairing of Emmett and Reagan is them figuring out how to communicate to each other. So like reading lips might seem really, really easy to us who are hearing, but it's actually really, really hard to do. And so like Emmett had that big scraggly beard. He was a mumbler. He had a bit of an accent. And those are all things that can make it really, really hard to read your lips. So I loved in those moments where Reagan was like, I need you to look at me, and I need you to, to enunciate so that I can understand you. And she was able to tell him when she didn't understand and when she did understand. And even Emmett adjusting to accommodate her. So like in the beginning, he wasn't willing to touch her. But by the end, he knew. Okay, if I need to get your attention, I can tap you on the shoulder, and that's okay. And like tapping somebody on the shoulder is totally okay in like the deaf culture, or like waving at them isn't rude to get their attention. But like seeing those two adjust to each other so that they could understand one another was just so cool. Because like when you're when you don't know how to sign and you're you're in this community, you got to figure it out, and that's exactly the process that that people go on. So it was just. cool to see those little things. And I just, once again, I love that they hired a deaf actress in this role. It makes all the difference. So good job, Quiet Place 2 team, uh, because she was able to actually like bring her own experience in. And I'm sure she's had to do that to people. So I just love those little details that are so important to somebody who, who knows, but also can teach other people um, a little bit about what it's like to to communicate with a deaf person if you don't know how to sign. So I just love those little tiny moments. They were so fun for me.
0: All in a thriller monster
2: movie. Yep. Who knew? It, who knew? You know, <laughs> magical babies teaching about deaf culture. It's great. <laughs> Swamp, love it. people. Swamp people, excellent. We got a lot in
0: this. All right let's wrap this thing up well this was our review and discussion of a quiet place Two. you can find it available to stream on paramount plus or it might be still available in theaters thank you for listening to this week's episode of the strategic whimsy experiment and a big thank you to you brandon for joining us and sharing all of your thoughts about this movie we loved having you on
1: yeah thank you for having me i appreciate it
0: it was fun All right. Well, this podcast is fueled by our passion for stories and connection and is something we continue to do each week solely because we love it. This is our strategic whimsy experiment and we encourage you to find a way to infuse a little whimsy into your days. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you tune into your favorite shows. Drop us a review letting us know your thoughts about A Quiet Place too. You can connect with us on Instagram at strategic whimsy experiment on Twitter at strategic whimsy, or you can always email us at strategic whimsy experiment at gmail.com. We will be back next week to discuss the film space jam, a new legacy. We hope you all have an amazing week and we will see you very soon.